Welcome to this week's episode of Humans Discuss Being. My name is Eve Darcy. This week, therapy special four. So in the first therapy special episode a few weeks ago, that was all about what is therapy, how do you go about getting it, different types of therapy. The second therapy special episode was on the phases of therapy and the process of change. The third therapy special episode was about why you want to leave therapy with the window tolerance and grounding techniques. That was last week's episode. This week, the fourth one, I'm going to talk about a number of things. It's going to be a quite short episode. So before therapy, reaching out to someone, when someone reaches out to you, I'm going to share a personal piece. I'm going to offer some suggestions for things that might help if you're in the pre-therapy like thinking of therapy stage and then I'm going to end with what happens in therapy like what actually is therapy what are you signing yourself up for so before therapy like before you start going to therapy you might be thinking about it you might not be feeling great maybe just a sadness like an emptiness a kind of lost feeling a depression depressive feeling like anxiety, any of these things. So if you're feeling or experiencing depressed feelings or even if you have thoughts kind of like suicidal ideation or any of those kind of things, I think it's really important to really try and understand that, okay, they're just thoughts. Yeah, they're very unpleasant thoughts, but they are just thoughts. And your feelings of depression They are just feelings, you know, they're not you. You are not depression. You are not depression. You might be feeling depressed, but that's a feeling that's around you. It's not you. So there's a distinction. And, you know, yeah, that might be how badly you're feeling right now, but it's not a true reflection of you, your life and your potential. They're just thoughts. They're just feelings however unpleasant and intrusive they might be. You are not your feelings, you're not your thoughts, you're separate from them. Also, no thoughts and no feelings last forever. Feelings pass, thoughts pass. It's this weird thing that when we're experiencing unpleasant thoughts and unpleasant feelings, we are convinced that they're correct and that they're here to stay and we'll never get over them and that's it and that's not the case at all it's just what happens when you're in that space but it's important to try and realize this is just temporary this will pass also you know your thoughts and feelings are compounded and make you feel worse Possibly because you don't have the necessary language around these topics to communicate your experience to others. Like that was definitely my experience before I started going to therapy. I just didn't know the words. Like I didn't, I remember in my like mid twenties having to Google emotions and just being like, what are these things? (laughs) I just had repressed them all so much and I just didn't know what they were. I was so disconnected from myself from my inner world like completely disconnected I just didn't have a clue so I had to google emotions like that's mortifying (laughs) but you know that's just what I had to do right so it's also compounded 
you know, experiencing these thoughts or feelings that you might be experiencing, it's compounded because you're in pain. Okay, you're hurt. That's okay. It's likely that the pain and hurt have been there for some time. And the fact that it's making itself known now, it's actually a positive thing in that it means that you're ready to deal with it now. So you're gaining self-awareness. You have the inner strength to deal with it now. It wouldn't be coming up if you didn't. So trying to see it as a positive thing, yes, it's horrible. Yes, it's very shit. No one wants to be experiencing these horrible feelings and thoughts and having to do the work involved in understanding them. But it is a positive sign that they're there. You're able. So now... What do you do to reach out to someone? Like, you know, we all know that this is what you have to do. We all know. It's so obvious. Like, you have to reach out to someone. You have to talk to someone. You have to tell someone. But, like, when you don't have the words, how the fuck are you meant to do that? But, like, how do you speak to someone about what you're experiencing when you don't know what you're experiencing, really? You might also be embarrassed, a bit ashamed. And you're also hurt and you're in pain. And... That's a very vulnerable place to be in. Like, how do you even start unpacking any of that? Like, how do you do it? What do you even say? You know, you might say something like, do you know, can I talk to you for, for a few minutes? You might ask someone you trust. Do you have a little while to talk? You know, I'm just, I need to talk to someone. Would you have a few minutes? I'm, I'm not sure what's wrong. I just know that I'm not feeling great, like in myself, kind of mentally. I've been feeling really down lately. You know, I'm not really sure what the words are yet, but I really think that if you could just listen, you know, I might I might feel better. So, you know, you might say something like that if you're reaching out to someone. The next thing I want to talk about is what about if someone reaches out to you? Like, what if you're that person that... Someone has come to you and they've said, listen, do you mind, Just would you have a few minutes? I just, I'm not in a great place. I really like to just chat with someone. So what do you do when someone reaches out to you? You listen. You just listen. You shut the fuck up and listen. You hold the space for them. This means, holding the space means listening in a relaxed and open way. It means not waiting to talk. It means not jumping to fix anything. It means listening with open empathy and allowing the feelings to be there. Allow the person the space to speak, to feel and to be heard. If you've ever watched the Tommy Tiernan show, That's what he does. He holds the space for people. He listens. He does not interrupt. Let silences be there. Chances are as well, you know, the person who's coming to you, they might be feeling worse than they initially portray. Like when someone opens up for the first time, they usually hold something back so as not to scare or upset the other person. So if you are that person that someone's opening up to, just relax, stay calm. You don't have to do anything except listen. Like often our panic when someone comes to us with something like this, our panic is because we start to feel pressure to help. You know, we start to fear then that we're not going to be able to help them. Like we don't know what to do. 
and that then we'll be in, inadequate in some way. And, you know, really all that's happening there is, you know, we're just making it about ourselves in our own heads and it's not about us. So just calm the fuck down, shut the fuck up and listen with kindness, care and non-judgmental empathy. So now, for some reason, I'm going to share a personal piece. Um, I sort of have an idea to do this. I don't really know why. I guess I hope it helps someone. It's not really that I particularly want to, you know, put it out into the world. But I guess maybe it also comes from a place of, you know, yes, okay, I'm I'm learning all I'm learning. And, um, you know, with the view to becoming a therapist, I guess, in time. But also, you know, that's quite a safe place to come from, right? Come from a place of like knowledge and information that I'm just passing on because, you know, I so have my shit together and I've never experienced any blah, blah, blah. Like that's such bullshit. So and also completely not (laughs) accurate. So I guess I just want to share something that um, shows that, you know, I definitely do not have my shit together. Um... Or, you know, I'm, I'm starting to, I think, a little bit more, but certainly didn't quite some time ago. So this personal piece that I wrote, I wrote it six years ago um, when I began my, my master's. I took a break from um, from the master's in psychotherapy for a while. But I wrote it six years ago when I was giving a presentation on eating disorders. And this personal piece is entitled My Disorder of Eating and it's about my experience of depression and eating disorders during my teenage years particularly at age 17 and 18 they were definitely the worst years and so okay I wrote it six years ago and it was about my memory of what it was like for me when I was 17 and 18. It is said that despite being thin People with certain eating disorders believe that parts of their bodies are too fat and spend a lot of time critically examining themselves in front of mirrors. It wasn't at all like this for me. At times I think how nice that might have been. To like even just one part of myself enough to focus on it in any way, even negatively. I barely looked at myself in any mirror ever. I was completely unaware of how I even looked. I couldn't bear to bring myself to do such a thing, to look at myself. The truth was, I didn't care what I looked like. I just didn't care. I hated being me. I hated being in me. I didn't want anything to do with myself. I was trapped, completely, in an impenetrable cage with bubbling, seething rage. A trapped burning. At times it felt as if I was already dead on the inside. It felt at times as though I was in a confined space with low ceilings and harsh, tight, close walls rapidly filling with water. Something, some force, some inner light, some inner strength would cause me to behave in such a way as to keep rising to the surface for some precious air, for life, for something, to at least attempt to survive. This, my eating disorder, 
at the time, at that point in my life, was ironically my only way of surviving, my only way of coping. I especially would not look at myself in the mirror or make any sort of eye contact between myself and my soul, particularly after making myself sick. The sadness in my eyes was too much for me to endure. It was too honest, too real. I felt so utterly lost, lonely, so completely alone and in so much pain. I felt disgustingly different, wrong, bad, as if possessed by demons. I didn't fit. I don't belong here. Why am I here? When I did eat, I ensured that I ate so much, I would feel so full that I almost would have no choice but to be sick. Am I sick? Proper sick? Untreatably sick? I could make myself sick. Had I made myself sick? The relief when I made myself sick was nice and strangely comforting. All of these awful feelings were uncomfortably comfortable, comforting and unsettlingly familiar. By now, my periods had stopped and the muscles from my lower legs, my calf region, had begun to waste away. Even though my self-worth was so very low that it barely existed, it was still there somewhere. I did feel a slight flame of hope at various points that things would at some time in the future get better for me. This feeling somehow remained and although it flickered, weakened and at times seemed to diminish, it never fully extinguished. Something kept me going. So that's just a little excerpt from what I wrote six years ago. And I guess what I learned and what I'm still learning is that it's up to me, you know, my recovery, my healing, this inner work, the work of personal development and change, it's up to me, you know, I'm the only one who can do it. I'm the only one who can take responsibility for myself. I have to do the work for myself. The work of personal therapy is not nearly as bad as I had feared. Like I put it off for a long time because I was shitting it. Didn't know what was going to happen, didn't know what was going to come up. I was actually very afraid that I wouldn't like my new self. <laughs> um, you know, that was, it seems kind of silly to me now, but that was definitely a genuine fear. I was like, oh, what, what will I be like? And, you know, and obviously the truth is I'm not even that different, but um, I don't know what I thought therapy was, but I was afraid of it for sure. And I needn't have been, and I definitely needn't have put it off for as long as I did. So yeah, you know, doing personal therapy, yes, it is difficult. It does require effort. But it's very illuminating, insightful, humbling, enriching, and it's entirely worthwhile. Like, you're learning about yourself and you're learning how to live your life as best you can and the way you want. Like, why wouldn't we do this, you know? The main thing, you know, that I do really want to say again is that, you know, you're not your thoughts, you're not your feelings. You know, yes, you might be feeling depressed or you might be feeling depression around you, but you are not depression. 
Also, these feelings of depression are trying to tell you something. They're trying to help. You just need to distance yourself from them in a healthy way. Realize, not like repress them and deny them. Like that's not healthy, obviously. It's also not going to help. They're going to come up eventually. But you just need to realize that you're a little bit separate from them. And then with help and support, you will start to understand them and in turn understand yourself a little bit better. And I just wanted to say something else about the, you know, earlier when I said in the piece, bubbling, seething rage. And, you know, I've learned a lot about rage and anger and all that in recent years and definitely have come to realise that under all anger is hurt. And it's just for some reason, it's easier to feel anger and it's strangely more socially acceptable to express anger in all its scariness and volatile unpredictability than it is to express pain and hurt so you might wonder like why is that like why why are we more comfortable getting really angry than we are at just being honest about our pain so now to move on to things that might help so if you're in a kind of pre-therapy place if you're contemplating therapy and the reason that you're contemplating therapy is because you just feel terrible and you just feel a bit down, low, all that kind of stuff. These things might help. So trying to see these feelings of depression or anxiety or whatever it is that you're experiencing as separate from you. So a lot of the time we do overly identify with our feelings and our thoughts. We believe they're bullshit and allow them to drag us down. We don't need to do that. They're just thoughts, they're just feelings. We happen to be experiencing them right now. Yeah, they're unpleasant, but they're not permanent and they're not us. We are not them. There are ways to change. You can and will change. Another thing that might help is writing down any negative thoughts that come to you. Just write them all down. Get them out on a page and burn those pages. Or rip them up, throw them into the bin. Giving the depressed feelings a name and image, something silly, that might also be helpful. And the reason that you do something kind of silly is to kind of like mock it and and help it lose some of its power over you. If you can, you could think of someone in your life or something in your life that you're grateful for. Gratitude is it's really, really powerful, but it's also, it's really not the easiest thing to do when you feel down. If you can, do something for yourself, anything at all. Do something helpful for yourself. Even if it's just like sit up in bed for 10 minutes today or take a shower or go for a walk. Do something for yourself. Allow yourself to be open to feeling better. You know, a lot of the time, and I think definitely this was my experience and it can be my tendency at times, so I do need to be careful of it. You know, there's something kind of nice about feeling down and feeling, you know, sluggish and just hiding away and not engaging. You know, there is something kind of, there's something addictive about it. Maybe not something nice, but... There's something addictive about it, you know, and we can get addicted to that pain. You know, we can get addicted to that space and we might not be used to feeling well. You know, we might not be used to feeling good about ourselves and good in ourselves. So we just need to allow space for that to happen. So lastly, and thank you for listening, I'll leave you with this. What happens in therapy? Like what is therapy? So 
In person-centered or client-centered therapy, which obviously all therapy should be, <laughs> should be about the person that's there in front of you and not the therapist. Um, and certainly psychotherapy is, is certainly very person-centered or client-centered. There are a number of core tenets that therapists employ. So Carl Rogers came up with a number of what are called core conditions for person-centered therapy, which the therapist kind of offers the client. So they include empathy, unconditional positive regard, non-judgmental acceptance and congruence. Congruence means that the therapist is real, they're genuine and they're open during their interaction with their client. Very basically though, therapy is a chance for you to be heard and accepted by another person who truly cares about your development and evolution. And they're also qualified to help you through this process of change that you're embarking upon. The therapist listens and creates and holds the space for you to allow emotions and thoughts to surface, to be processed, to be understood and eventually altered. I was thinking about like, like, you know, an analogy or whatever for what a therapist is or what therapy is. And what I've come up with so far is that a therapist is like a guide who can guide you along whatever path you choose to take, whatever path is best for you. But you have to decide on the path. You know, you know where you're going, you know where you need to go. The therapist doesn't necessarily know where the end point is, but they do know how to help you along the way. You know, so you're leading it, you're directing it, but they're guiding you along the way. And I'm just going to leave you in the words of Yalom, a very famous psychotherapist. He's got loads of books. It's Irvin Yalom, and he's very, it's a very easy read. It's, you know, he's got great books out. So if you want to check out some of his books. Um, but he says about therapy, the act of revealing oneself fully to another and still being accepted may be the major vehicle of therapeutic help and that's what happens in therapy you reveal yourself to your therapist and they accept you for who you are for what you're saying because it's all just normal parts of being a human that we're weirdly embarrassed by and think we're the only ones who think and feel these things. Anyway, that's the way it goes. But um, so, yeah, I hope you've enjoyed this therapy special for um, I'm only going to be doing interviews every now and then. There's a number of reasons for that. Uh, I don't particularly like doing Zoom interviews for a number of reasons, but mostly the main one at the moment is sort of like ethically. I am not comfortable you know, asking someone to come on and talk about a difficult time in their life that they're comfortable to talk about when we're living during very difficult times. And I get a sense that these times are bringing up a lot of things for people that they might not have thought about before. And I just don't want to be bringing people into processing things that they don't really want to. So I'm just not comfortable doing that. And I'll only interview people who are very 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 comfortable <laughs> and okay with being interviewed what i am going to do though i'm going to i'm going to keep these kind of ones going and kind of just sharing the knowledge that i'm acquiring and in particular for the next few i'm going to be focusing on stress and giving you tips for how to get more stress 
into your life. <laughs> no, obviously not. Um, the focus is going to be on stress management, stress reduction, all that kind of stuff. Just like techniques and strategies to deal with it better. So yeah, that's it. I've just put my hands together as if I've finished a yoga class. Namaste everyone. Namaste. Uh, yeah, take care. <laughs>